Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. I forget the lady who emailed me this morning, but she says, I kind of like it when you give out the number, but don't actually take phone calls. <laughs> we'll see. Um, it, it, we got to begin with, with a big word and stuff, but but just a, a, a milestone note, if you'll allow, uh, you have to. We're in the new office. We're broadcasting from the new office today for the first time. Uh, when you see, if you see any show videos and stuff, you'll actually see um, behind me the window. I can see the traffic moving behind me and the camera recording we still got some logistics to work out on sound and, and lighting and video and stuff. But uh, Philip, who started working for me out of college, this is his first day in an office ever to work. And for me, it's been about 20 years since I've actually been regularly working in an office. And it's, it's kind of nice. I'm in the building where I practice law. So it, it feels somewhat like a homecoming. Now, to begin, we got to talk, unfortunately, about the tragedy in Memphis. So I, I want to introduce you to a big word. I, I've used this word before, but it's it's a word you need to understand and process, and it's called cosmogony. You know, the the it, it's from Greek. You know, cosmos is the universe. Cosmonaut was the Soviet astronaut. Uh, cosmogony is the theory of the creation of everything. Uh, one of the most famous cosmogonies is uh, found in Genesis 1. It, it's Moses, a prince of Egypt, telling essentially the, uh, the Egyptian world that they were wrong. Here's this prince of Egypt saying, actually, uh, there is one God, not many, and he spoke the world into being. He spoke all of creation into being. That that's, is the Judeo-Christian cosmogony is God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God created all things, and on the sixth day created man, and on the seventh day he rested. That's the Judeo-Christian cosmogony. Uh, the Greeks believed that uh, Mother Earth and and Father Universe together essentially had uh, romantic engagements and uh, created all things. The Egyptians that Moses was speaking into believed there was, was Ra, and that Ra, um, for polite radio company, uh, sexually satisfied himself, and uh, the the emissions thereof became all the gods. Yeah, real gross stuff. Uh, all those stars you see were what he um, emitted when he pleased himself, and they're all actually gods. It, very, very odd cosmogony, and here comes Moses into that and says, actually, there's only one God, uh, and he created the moon and the stars and their objects not to be worshipped. They're not gods, which at the time was unique in all the world, that, that uh, there was this one uh, monotheistic religion where the moon and the sun were not objects of worship, just objects. That gets me to, you have to understand that construct because you, you've got the, the Greek mythological cosmogony, you have the Judeo-Christian cosmogony, you have a Hindu cosmogony, you have all these cosmogonies. And what we're watching right now in the world play out is a secular cosmogony. Let me give you, it's going to sound very familiar. There was an Eden. And the Eden was noble, pure, and good. And then one day, in 1619, slavery was brought into the Eden. And the Eden began to deteriorate. And as this slavery, this sin entered into the world, all the institutions, apparatus, all of those living within that Eden 
became corrupted by slavery. This is the cosmogony of Nicole Hannah-Jones and of the secular left. And it is from that cosmogony that they get the idea that Tyree Nichols was killed because of white supremacy. This is them creating their secular religion in real time and their adherents. Uh, those who have said that Tyree Nichols was killed because of racism or white supremacy have bought into this religion, into this idea of, of white supremacy is the original sin, where instead of Eve and Adam and Eve eating of the apple of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and being cast out, it is slavery came in. Eden and polluted the Eden, and all of us now are systemically polluted by this sin of slavery. This is how the secularists are explaining things. The problem with this worldview is it starts to break down, does it not? If we don't know this, but just uh, what if there's some sort of a personal animosity? Uh, if Tyree Nichols knew one of these police officers, if, if one of those police officers hated him for some reason, we don't know. It's not in contention. But if it did, then suddenly white supremacy no longer makes sense. The Judeo-Christian worldview of sin entering the world still makes perfect sense. You don't have to rearrange your entire worldview if that's the case because sinners acting in sin and hate to someone else, it's perfectly consistent. But with the secular worldview, they're still going to have to work these things out and figure it out if the story actually changes in some regard like that. So what actually happened here was awful. I did not watch the video. I told you I would not watch the video. Did not want to watch the video. I didn't watch the video, but I read what happened and unfortunately stumbled across some of the pictures. These five police officers held his hands down and demanded he raise his hands to surrender. And since he was not raising his hands to surrender because he could not, they beat him, they punched him, they hit him. Ultimately, they killed him. They murdered Tyree Nichols. And the presumption of the left immediately running out is that, well, it's white supremacy. It's white supremacy. Uh, white supremacy did this. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams, New York City. But I think a race is still on the table uh, when a culture of policing historically has treated uh, those from different groups differently, uh, even when the individuals are from that same group, that culture can still exist. And we have to zero in on it, being honest about it, and making sure that we properly train police for the realities of the cities that they are policing in. We have to be honest, racism was involved. To a lot of people, this makes no sense, black officers on a black person. But if you understand the cosmogony of the left now, slavery entered into this new world. It polluted and corrupted all the institutions. The United States was formed out of that original sin. It's the language a lot of people use. The Our original sin as a nation was slavery. We haven't gotten rid of it. It's now woven within the fabric of society, including the police. What's going on here is this intersectional idea of justice uh, derived from their left-wing cosmogony. This intersectional idea of justice, just so you understand this, there are two classes of people. There is the oppressor and the oppressed. The oppressor and the oppressed are based on an intersectional category that presumes power. So the height of power and privilege, the key word here, privilege, 
is white, male, heterosexual, in the left's language, cisgendered, meaning his uh, sex and gender align. Uh, he tends to be Christian and have no disability. So if you are white, male, heterosexual, Christian, man with no disability, you are the height of privilege and power in this country. You are the oppressor. So if you are a young black man, you are the oppressed. And what the left's cosmogony says and their their secular pagan religion now teaches us is that for black police officers to treat Tyree Nichols this way in a system that is based on white supremacy, these black men are acting out their own oppression against one of their own class. So these black men are essentially taking out their own oppression on Tyree Nichols. This explains, for example, why, remember, in in the height of the the outrage over Asian-American violence, it turned out that a majority of the violence was done by white men. You had a University of Colorado at Boulder professor pin a piece saying that actually it's white supremacy, that because these black men are oppressed in a, a society of white supremacy, they act out their anger and their oppression on other oppressed people to try to elevate themselves into the class of white people, which is the oppressor. They become the thing they hate, and it's just them uh, reacting because of the sin of white supremacy. This is a religious argument that these people are making and have embraced. And because it's a by faith religious argument, you can't actually dissuade them from it with reason, with rationality. They will not actually embrace the idea that they're wrong because it is a religious worldview for them to believe this, to look at five black police officers beating and killing Tyree Nichols and saying it's white supremacy and racism is a by faith, not rational belief. Really, the only way around it is to laugh at them for the absurdity of their religion. And it is a religious belief. When you get rid of it, you clean the slate and you look at a rational, reasonable person, you see five individuals who were bad and abused their positions. They were sworn to serve and protect and they did not do either. They used their positions to abuse and kill a young man. And that young man cannot be brought back by any of us. But what we can do is we can use our system of justice that the left says is interwoven with white supremacy and we can derive some sense of justice, retribution for the killers and see the system work. And you should note the system is working. I've already seen contrarians out there saying, oh, well, you know, had he not fled from the police, he would have been beaten. How do you know? It's it's plausible, but how do you know? Look at how badly they beat him. Maybe he fled from them because he knew they were about to beat him and he was trying to save his life. How do you know? How can you, the contrarian, say something like that? You really can't. You just want to be a contrarian blankety-blank. What we do know, though, is we have a system of justice, and that system of justice is going to work. That system of justice is going to make this not right, but provide some level of justice by sending these police to prison. For those who are the contrarians here who say, well, I mean, had he not fled, he would still be alive. 
All I will tell you is that when the police investigators looked at the video, they immediately fired these five and charged them with murder. If you're going to have the back of the police, whose police backs are you going to have? The five or the many who looked at the evidence and said, this was not right, this was unjust, These, this was abusive. And if you believe the system is interwoven with white supremacy, how then can you put faith in the system that there will be some justice done and these men will go to prison? I, I would submit to you, there's actually like a more rational worldview here than this systemic uh, worldview of, of the secularist that there's, there's white supremacy interwoven in society and that is that uh, we live in a fallen world full of sin and these five men abused their power and they killed a young man who in his final breaths was in the fetal position crying for his mother and they mocked him for that and we can't bring him back but we can throw those five men in prison with many of the other people they themselves have thrown in prison in a deep sense of irony and leave them there to rot and that'll be what our imperfect system can do to administer justice. But when we have these conversations and when we try to deal with the situation, you do need to understand that uh, when the left jumps into this idea that this is white supremacy and this is racism, it's because they are embracing their secular religion and it's a by-faith belief for them that all of this is premised on white supremacy as opposed to five individuals who are culpable for their own conduct and violence irrespective of the society around them. Uh, to say that this is white supremacy and that they're inculcated with white supremacy is to some degree to provide them an excuse to alleviate what they did, and we shouldn't do that. These five men killed this young man, and they should rot in prison for the rest of their lives if not face the ultimate penalty. The weather outside might be frightful, but in your bed, you've got super soft bowl and branch sheets to sleep under. They'll keep you comfortable. They're just the perfect weight. Summer, winter, fall, spring, the perfect weight, and they get softer every wash. And right now, with the weather so cold outside, you want to just be snuggled up inside. They're the perfect sheets under which you and your loved one can snuggle. And right now, you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlinBranch.com. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L. Andbranch.com. The promo code is Eric, E R I C K. Bullet Branch sheets are the perfect 100% organic cotton threads that get softer every wash. Not only do they get softer every wash, but they the drape across your body is just perfect. I really enjoy mine. We've got them now on multiple beds in the house. We've just kept buying them because they're so soft. And every wash, they get softer. And right now, get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code Eric, E R I C K, at Bullet bolandbranch.com that's bolandbranch b-o-l-l-a-n-d branch.com the promo code eric hello there welcome back it is eric erickson here the phone number is 877-973-7425 i want to go to the phones mac you're going to be up first welcome to the show mac hey eric how are mac, you doing can you hear me okay I'm good yeah i can hear you welcome well thank you sir uh, great topic today as always uh, I always I look forward to every Monday that you're on. So Thank basically, um, I think you hit it on on the nail head. I was hoping you would talk about. That. Um, I started looking at some of this video. And first off, my 
30 years in law enforcement. The last 18 plus as a law enforcement trainer dealing with uh, with use of force issues. Uh, I've been designated by the federal courts as a use of force subject matter expert. So I started looking at the video, and kudos to you for not even watching it. And the first probably two minutes of me watching it, I turned it off because you made a great point in that these individuals were not trying to gain control of, of this individual. I mentioned to your call screener the reason why I know that. There, there were at least four to five situations where they could have put handcuffs on the individual, gained compliance, and, and stood him up off the ground. Mm-hmm. At no point did they were they even attempting to do that. So my opinion is they were intending to do exactly what they did and not arrest this individual. Yeah, and it, it 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 is so counter to the to training, uh, as I mean, not even as I understand it, Mac. Um, it's it's against training. I mean, you're supposed to get the person in a position where you can't handcuff them if you need to handcuff them to restrain them. They were holding his hands down and telling him he needed to raise his hands to surrender. They were holding his hands down. Now, I said I didn't watch the video, but I did read that, and I think it was the New York Times excerpted that clip so you could see it. And I mean, they're they're punching the kid. They're hold two of them are holding his hands down. One of them they're, they're screaming at him to raise his hands, and and they're punching him. And that's that's not training. That 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 goes beyond training. There there was something. I mean, there was just real evil there that happened. Um, Certainly not white supremacy either, given the dynamics. Um, Gosh, it was just awful. I I do not recommend you watch the video. I I really don't. Uh, When we come back, we're going to move on, though, to other things, uh, including um, the president, a former president, has decided to start attacking Ron DeSantis on the campaign trail. What's so interesting about the attacks he's making, I mean, you won't be surprised by this, is, is he's leaving some things out of the record, but not just leaving things out of the record, he's also ignoring some some key points. Like, for example, he's claiming Ron DeSantis shut beaches down in Florida, which isn't actually true at all. He did not shut beaches. Some local counties did, and he fought them to reopen them. And when he fought to reopen schools, President Trump fought him to keep them closed. This is going to be part of the problem as President Trump tries to make a re-election bid in 2024, the COVID record. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. More than welcome to call. So the former president. The former president, Donald John Trump, is crisscrossing the nation now. Uh, so Donald Trump went to, I think, New Hampshire. He, he went to South Carolina. He's, he's making his way around the country in his presidential bid. And he's begun to take shots at Ron DeSantis uh, on the campaign trail. Clearly knows that DeSantis is probably the the, the biggest threat to him for his own coalition of voters. What I thought was so interesting, though, is that uh, President Trump attacked Ron DeSantis 
for having closed beaches in Florida, among other things, which isn't actually true. I mean, if if you remember the actual history, uh, DeSantis was getting assailed for refusing to close beaches, and the media was running those salacious stories of packed beaches in Florida. Local governments in Florida, including Duval County, uh, the Jacksonville area, and, and a few others, they began to close beaches, and DeSantis fought them to get them to reopen their beaches. But it was local governments that did it, not DeSantis. DeSantis fought them on this. And for Trump to be on the campaign trail now attacking DeSantis for closing beaches, one, isn't true, not that he cares. But what is actually true is that DeSantis decided to reopen schools in Florida and Donald Trump attacked him for reopening schools in Florida. That's one of the notable bits here that people forget is is DeSantis decided to reopen schools and Donald Trump attacked DeSantis for reopening the schools in Florida. Uh, as president of the United States at a press conference that he thought this would contribute to the cause of COVID and got Tony Fauci on stage to push back on DeSantis. I mean, Trump, for Pete's sake, he's the one who made Fauci a thing for him to go out now and attack other people. When will he be held accountable for giving Tony Fauci the prominence of his platform? When will he be held accountable for attacking people like DeSantis and also Brian Kemp in Georgia. Kemp actually was the first one to reopen his state and Trump twice attacked him. So it's just, listen, if if he wants to run for president, that's fine. And if you want to support him, that's fine. But we shouldn't allow him to revise a record based on a lie so that he can take a cheap shot at DeSantis when Trump's the one who put Tony Fauci on the national stage and DeSantis is the one who said his state would be a Fauci-free zone. But let's just keep that record straight. Interestingly enough, Nikki Haley sounds more and more like a presidential contender herself out there, and she's beginning to take very subtle slights at the president, suggesting that we don't need 80-year-olds running the country. This was directed at Trump, but applies to Biden as well. It's going to be interesting. Um, so just just let, let's step back for a minute and spend a little more time here than I, I intended to. Trump runs. You have Pence, Pompeo, and Haley. All three worked for him. And all three seem to wish to run. And in so running, seem to be saying that they should be the, I guess, heirs of the Trump legacy. If you're running as heirs to the Trump legacy, if you're running as I work for Donald Trump and and, and helped him shape his vision in some aspect or not, and Trump runs, I, you're going to have to be very careful how you distinguish yourself. And to a degree, I guess they can say we, we want Trump policies, but we don't want Trump. There is this undercurrent sentiment among a number of Republicans that they want Trump policies. They just don't want him. There is, of course, a segment of the base that very much it's him or nobody, ride or die with Donald Trump. Uh, with everybody else, it, it's kind of we want his policies, but we're not sure we want him. And it, the GOP is going to have to be able to figure this out. They're going to have to be able to address how exactly something like this works to be able to um, decide uh, we, we, we want someone who worked for Donald Trump as opposed to we want Donald Trump. And then, of course, you have this whole other segment of people, these governors. So you, you've got DeSantis, you've got Christy Nome, you've got Glenn Youngkin in Virginia who looks like he's going to run. And you have these people who took on cultural issues, economic issues, took on COVID issues to a degree. Youngkin can't claim that because he was governor. He didn't come in until after Biden. 
But with DeSantis, he did have this uh, pattern of going out and and disputing Dr. Fauci, disputing things that were coming from the Trump administration when it came to COVID, and they attacked him. Even Donald Trump did. So will Trump be held accountable for that, particularly by people who support Donald Trump, but also they're not necessarily – they're not wedded to him in the future. Will will they recognize that there's a problem here? I don't know. I'm fascinated by the dynamic. Uh, and again, this so much of this, I sound like a broken record on this, sounds like going back to 1998 and you had uh, George W. Bush, who the base and the donors were beginning to rally around. And the big difference, though, is that George H.W. Bush was not trying to run for re-election sabotaging the sun. And now you've got Trump here trying to sabotage DeSantis. I, I just still... In the back of my mind, I have a theory. Maybe it'll hold up or not. I don't know, but it just I Trump is having big dollar donor troubles, and I know he's having big dollar donor troubles because I talked to some of these big dollar donors, and they are very hesitant to get on board with Trump. Now that being said. In 2016, Trump also had big dollar donor problems, but he had a massive pool of small dollar donors who were willing to help him. He doesn't have as many small dollar donors willing to help him this time. Some of them feel burned because he raised like $150 million in 2022 for the midterms and then refused to spend it on any of those candidates. And a lot of the small dollar donors are a little bit angry that he didn't spend a lot of his money. I shouldn't say he didn't spend any, but he didn't spend a lot. I mean, he raised $150 million and spent maybe 25 of that. And I guess the rest of it is going to his presidential relaunch, except under federal election rules, it's a leadership pack, so he can't spend it on himself. So he's got to get those small-dollar donors to agree to move the money into his presidential pack, which I guess a lot of them are doing. But then with the recession coming, he can't rely on small-dollar donors as much, can he? So he needs the big donors, and the big donors are a little bit hesitant. I've talked to some of them, and, you know, I was surprised to see today, as a matter of fact, there was a, a piece on DeSantis and who is in his corner. He's got the, um, oh, what should we do, the, the big billionaire out of, out of Chicago uh, on his side who's a conservative. Um, and then it looks like you've got um, Sheldon Adelson's wife. Uh, Sheldon Adelson, of course, was the owner of the Sands Corporation. He owned the Venetian Palazzo in Las Vegas. A uh, number of casinos around the world, big supporter of Israel, big conservative Republican donor. His wife, after Sheldon died, said she was going to sit on the sidelines. But apparently she has been wooed by the DeSantis people. And so you got her money in. Uh, you, you've got the other billionaires money in. Oh, what is the? It's going to drive me crazy. It's like I wanted to tell you his name. And the moment I decided I needed to tell you his name, I forgot his name. Um, that's just the way it works. Um, but you've got several of these guys now. Correspondingly, Glenn Youngkin has a number of these billionaire donors himself. The Glenn Youngkin donors don't necessarily like culture warrior DeSantis. They want kind of more perceived to be moderate. Youngkin's not necessarily moderate, but he's perceived to be that way. He hasn't been an iconoclast, I guess, for lack of a better word, than than DeSantis has been. He has not thrown the punches DeSantis has thrown at big corporations and things like that. He's gone after schools and COVID policy. Some of the culture war stuff in Virginia, just not as heavily as DeSantis. And so you got a lot of donors out there who are more comfortable with him. And they're thinking, yeah, this this may be our guy. 
Um, the other guys out there are going to have to try to find their pool of billionaire donors. You don't, you're not going to win with billionaire donors. And let's, let's, well, let's be clear here. You're you're not going to win with just billionaire donors. And the reason you're not going to win with just billionaire donors is because there are like 50 of them, and that means you got 50 votes. Where the billionaire donors come in handy is they make it easier for you through their outside super PACs and their donations to you to actually be able to staff your campaign and get your word out. So, for example... Uh, one group has already started a leadership pack or a, a super pack for Ron DeSantis. The whole goal of the super pack is to run ads. They're already running ads in Iowa. We are a year from the Iowa caucus. They're already running ads in Iowa. Now, that being said, uh, this group has been criticized by a lot of people, myself included, for starting too soon and wasting money on DeSantis. But they've started. Haley has an outside organization. Uh, she has been moving around the country, doing a lot of campaign events for others. She's been able to fund a lot of these things through her own leadership pack. She has a donor base. Mike Pence, of course, has a big donor base. Glenn Youngkin has his own donor base. Um, what's so interesting here is a lot of these people had been Donald Trump's donor base. So as they pull away from Donald Trump and go to these other people, he's got to either grab a hold of a growing number of small dollar donors or he's got to grab hold of new major donors because Trump tends to not want to spend his own money. The chess on the board here is just, it's an interesting dynamic to me because Trump was, again, in 2016, he was able to become the nominee with fewer votes cast for him than any party nominee going back to the modern process. Now, what I mean by that is up until the 1960s, it was the party leaders in the smoke-filled room who picked the nominees. At the late 1960s, it became much more egalitarian, and you actually had primaries in all 50 states. Some states had adopted the primary system. Some of them, it was still the party leaders. By the late 60s, all of the states were having primaries. And so you could only go back, really, to, I think, Nixon's election in 68, I think, was really Ford uh, in 76 for sure. And fast forward, that's when everybody had primaries. And so when you look at the percentage of the vote that went to the ultimate nominee, I mean, Reagan got over 50% of the vote, George H.W. Bush and George Bush got over 50% of the vote, McCain got like 47, 48% of the vote, even Romney got about 50%. Donald Trump got 43% of the vote in the Republican primary in 2016 and became the party nominee because you had a field of 18, 19 people, and he was able to use small-dollar donors, while a lot of the others had focused on uh, leadership packs and super packs and mega donors. Jeb Bush, most famously, probably spent more money than the rest of the candidates through super packs he himself was not in charge of, but had donors raise a ton of money, and it didn't get him anything. I don't know that he won a full state. I think he dropped out. He, he abandoned the field and left. Um, and Trump was able to use small dollar donors and the large dollar donors began drifting his way towards the end. And there was a big split within the party. John Kasich, you'll recall, was somewhat instrumental in this. Uh, Kasich helped steer a lot of the party towards Trump away from Ted Cruz because John Kasich did not like Ted Cruz. And Kasich's gamble, I suspect, was that Hillary Clinton would beat Trump. And he could have a do-over in four years and he himself run. That's not what happened. And Kasich, of course, burned all of his bridges with the party. But it helped steer a lot of those dollars and a lot of those donors to Donald Trump. 
Um, it, it was it was an interesting shakeup there that he essentially got the nomination with a lot of small dollar guys until the end, and then he started getting the billionaires. Well, now he heads into twenty twenty. He had all the billionaire backing, and now he goes into twenty twenty four. And a lot of them have split. But what's bad for him is that a lot of the small dollar donors who funded Trump in twenty sixteen are now looking forward saying. Do I want to stick with an 80-year-old or do I want to go with someone else? And a lot of them have been sending money to DeSantis. All of that goes full circle, too. He's begun these attacks on DeSantis, trying to soften DeSantis up with those small-dollar donors who went towards DeSantis. The problem is that when he's going to make an attack on DeSantis like he shut down beaches, which is not true, the DeSantis team could push back strongly and say, one, that's not true, and two, when we open schools, you attacked us for doing so. This is a Trump vulnerability he's going to have to figure out a way around, particularly when so much of the Republican base is still highly antagonistic to a lot of the stuff the country went through with COVID from lockdowns and all that started in the Trump administration. This will be a reality Trump has not had to navigate before with attacks based on what he did while he was president from the right. Brave new world for Donald Trump. Now, speaking of conservatives and, and conservative causes, uh, you know, I, I like Patriot Mobile. Uh, in fact, I'm in my new office today, and I've got my Patriot Mobile cell phone, and I've got five bars. And with my other phone, I have two bars. So there you go on signal strength. So if you go to Patriot Mobile, you can get Patriot Mobile as your cell phone provider. They are a cell phone provider, and they actually do a great job giving you guaranteed great service. You go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric today, PatriotMobile.com slash Eric, or you could call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation, and here's what's cool. You do take business to Patriot Mobile. You can take your existing cell phone or get a phone number or get a new cell phone number from them. And as they grow, they grow their profits. And with their profits, they fund the conservative movement. So the Second Amendment, the pro-life movement, the conservative movement in general, Patriot Mobile takes their profits and they fund those causes. But they need your business in order to grow their profits to grow the causes you care about. So go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric today or call them 972-PATRIOT. Don't forget to sign up to the email. If you text data to 33777, you too can sign up for the email and proceed from there. Uh, text data to 33777. All right, so uh, there's a piece in um, Arizona Central in, in their newspaper out there by John Gabriel, who I know, and this is a great piece. Why is this is the headline? Why is it a travesty? When Ducey buses immigrants, but not when Hobbs does it. In other words, uh, Greg Abbott in Texas, Doug Ducey in Arizona, Ron DeSantis in Florida, they've all bussed illegal immigrants to northern states. They bust them to Illinois. They bust them to New York. They bust them to uh, the Washington, D.C., um, Massachusetts, and the media went hysterically outraged by it. The media went nuts because these Republican governors did this. Democratic governors are busing illegal immigrants to New York, to Chicago, uh, to to Washington, D.C. Katie Hobbs, the new governor of Arizona, said she's going to do it. Jared Polis from Colorado has done this. Uh, You have Democratic governors busing illegal aliens to other states, and the media has been remarkably quiet 
But when Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, Doug Ducey do it, absolute outrage. This is uh, John Gabriel, this article. I disagree with several policies proposed by Arizona's new governor, but must give credit for one she mentioned at a press conference last week. Katie Hobbs will continue Governor Doug Ducey's policy of moving migrants from our strapped border communities to other parts of the country. The only change Hobbs made was adding an air travel option when it had previously only been by buses. So the question is, when Republicans do it, it's controversial and mean. Katie Hobbs hasn't gotten a lot of criticism. Is it because she has a D next to her name? Jared Polis, governor of Colorado, he's doing it. No major media reaction. Why exactly is there no major media hysteria other than the letter next to their name? This is part of the problem we're dealing with now as a country. More and more people are realizing the media has a dog in the fight. Uh, Their dog is on the left. They're yellow dog Democrats. And they will be hysterical, scream, and complain when Republicans do something. And they will not be, uh, they they won't engage in the hysterics when Democrats do the same thing. It is a double standard. It it is a clear double standard here. Now, we're used to the double standard. We should expect the double standard, but we should also highlight the double standard so people understand it when they see it, that uh, these Democratic governors can do this and get the pass, that Republican governors, when they do it, you get national media outrage for something they're okay with otherwise. This double standard, it's got to be called out. And again, we're not going to get rid of the double standard. We will never get rid of the double standard. The media is going to play for the left and probably escalate their playing for the left over time. But by calling it out so people, independent voters, moderate voters, people in the middle can see the double standard for themselves, it will make them more skeptical of what else they hear from the press that's bad about Republicans that is simply either not true or would be fine with the press if Democrats did it. you got to highlight that double standard. Now, when we come back, we got to talk about the Russian bots that actually weren't all that influential.